his ultimate goal Gotta call my team back at Old Not Hole It's Sonic and the Freedom Fighters Sally the princess, one of a kind Bunny always there to get you out of a bind Rona the genius looking through the archives And Tails flying fast, got dreams sky high Antoine's a jerk, yeah. it's Sonic and the Freedom Fighters Hey everybody, welcome back to the Archie Sonic Digest, and man oh man, do we have an excellent, really just a beautiful lineup of comics for you. And to start us off, let's introduce our uh, our, our guest for this episode, my, my good buddy Aaron Amaterasu. You know him, you love him. How's it doing, buddy? I have stared into the abyss, and Ken Penders has stared back. No, you there don't. is no God. You don't want penders. that. You don't want that face staring back at you. You don't. Not you don't. All. You don't. No. Uh, what's up, guys? Uh, I'm back. Uh, my boy Speed decided to uh, give me the invite back after our uh, fantastic episode last time, and uh, honestly, I could not be happier to be back on. I have I've re-listened to that episode once or twice and laughed my ass off at the comments we made. You know, just. I, I had honestly forgotten how insane these comics get and how much fun it is to talk about them. So I'm here. I'm ready. Let's talk about some motherfucking Archie Sonic. But before we do that, a little bit of housekeeping. I got a little bit of an announcement to make about the show. We are now on Spotify. So if you decide to uh, listen along on the drive to work, uh, don't do that. I'm not responsible if you crash your car in uh, an apocalyptic uh, moment. I don't. Please don't listen to this on the drive to work. I, I, I'm Bro, you're gonna you. get sued. You're gonna get sued. You know that now. Now that now that you're on Spotify, you're getting fucking sued. Ken Penders will come after you. <laughs> I I am not responsible for anything that happens to you upon listening to this podcast. <laughs> oh my god. Well, uh, yeah. Go listen to us on Spotify. Uh, we we have we have beautiful voices. Uh, me and him. And so. We'll kick off on uh, really just like a big... We're, we're starting off strong this episode. Uh, we're starting off with the big Knuckles number 25. Let's just give it up right there and then. Oh my Ken god. Penders, Ken Penders made it to 25 issues. He has 25 more to go before all of this shit gets integrated into the main Sonic comic. I hope you're excited. I'm not. <laughs> <laughs> so yes, of course, do I even need to say it? Written by Ken Penders with art by Manny Galangit. The dream team, as we've all come to know them. Uh, they're 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 so lovely. Um, I I will say I don't think the art in this issue is that bad, but uh, next issue and the next couple issues after, ooh, yikes, mm. ooh, ooh, it's not good, it's not good. <laughs> so, <clears throat> Knuckles and a Julie Sue, we open up on them. They're cleaning up from the uh, little mess that they made in the last uh, Knuckles comic. And in the reflection of a robot's head, Knuckles sees the face of Locke, his father. In shock, he turns around and chases after what he thought he saw was his father. Chases up after him, runs up the stairs into the city's ground level, and calls for him to stop, with Locke just turning around, and Knuckles, in tears of joy, embraces his father. Two pages into this comic... And this is how Knuckles reunites with his long-lost father, who he thought was dead for over 10 years. He just, like, literally just asked him to turn around. It's it's very weird. Like, 
I understand, because, because, okay, and this is something that we're going to, like, talk a little bit about when we get later into the comic, I, I, and, and me and Speed discussed this in the pre-show, which you can see by, by, by going to uh, his Patreon page and uh, being a patron of his, you should do that, thanks. Patreon.com slash Sonic Speed. Yes, Patreon.com slash Sonic Speed, uh, we are shills in this, co- in this podcast, so, um, I think it's weird that, like, and this is, again, we're going to discuss this later in the episode, why is Knuckles' reaction to seeing his dad after not seeing him his basically his entire life right like most of his life right why is it this 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 reaction of joy you would expect with a character like knuckles to be for it to be a lot more angry because he doesn't know what's fucking going on at this point right he's he's already been talked to about like haven and all the stuff going on in there by the elders and he's visibly pissed then so why not now? Why is it this like overpour, overpour of joy? It's it's very out of character for him. I understand that like Ken Penders is obviously trying to like make this like a big emotional moment, but it feels like it's the wrong emotions, you know? Yeah, you know, I I I can't argue with that. I mean, you see, maybe I don't know if you want to like uh, push back on this, but let me just like give this comment in. Maybe our interpretation of Knuckles, because here's the thing, this comic came out in like late 90s, early 2000s, late 90s, late 90s. So we are like, we don't really have like a solid character interpretation of Knuckles because a lot of the character or the characterization for a lot of these characters came in during like Sonic Adventure, Sonic Adventure 2. So really, all we really have for Knuckles so far is just this like blatant or like flatline character who's like, not very bright. He doesn't really like display his emotions on his sleeve. But Ken Penders decided to interpret this character as like him just being like kind of like a lost character who doesn't really know what's going on and everything around him is just happening and he just has to react to it. So yeah, right. we can sit here and just think, oh, Knuckles would react angrily to this situation and we'd be right. But it's just that I wonder if like we have like a sort of like hindsight is 2020 kind of interpretation going on here. I would. I would say that in some ways it is like a hindsight is 2020 situation because really the only major emotions that we knew about from Knuckles as like a character through his interpretation was stuff like, at least in the 90s, right? If you're a kid, it's mostly going to be Sonic 3 and Sonic 3 and Knuckles, right? Where he's mostly a hard ass, but eventually, you know, he comes to work with you, right? And he's kind of an asshole and a little bit of a prick, right? And I think this comic in some ways does a good job of displaying that like somewhat abrasive side of him, but... I do agree that mostly his character was very much up to interpretation, and it was kind of all over the place. And then when Sonic Adventure and Sonic Adventure 2 came in and they really defined Knuckles as a character with how he acts, that it would make a lot more sense for him to, to act in sort of the way that, you know, I kind of described. So, yeah, I'd say it's a little bit of column A, a little bit of column B, and I think that's that's actually pretty interesting. I, I didn't think about that. Thank you, Speed. That, that's really cool. Yeah. With that, uh, Knuckles is just sort of like rambling a little bit, saying like, oh, I have I have so many questions, like what's going on here? And Locke says, hey, this isn't the time to discuss things. Let's just go elsewhere. And he takes, Locke takes Knuckles over the shoulder and just ushers him away. As Julie Sue walks up looking for Knuckles, seeing him both, and him and Locke both gone. And she's just like a little, kind of a little pissed that Knuckles just kind of ditched her. But like, you know what? The man found his long lost father. Like, give give him a little bit of a break. Yeah, yeah, yeah true. I I will say, like I mentioned before, I actually think the art in this issue is is pretty solid. This panel I'm looking at right now of uh, you know Julie Sue, you know, just kind of she's very anime, but like 
she looks good. The proportions look good. I'm like, I'm pretty surprised right now. Locke is now flying Knuckles into Haven and is explaining its history. It was originally built by the Fire Ants as a way to help the second Guardian, Stephen Wolf, with his Guardian duties. And as his son, Moonwatcher, grew up, he knew he needed a way to like properly indict him as a Guardian. So he realized that with the Floating Island's Chaos Emerald were to be preserved, he needed to know, quote, of the world beyond. So, Stephen Wolf was then met by a group of overlanders on the Floating Island, led by one uh, Brutus Kintober, of course, uh, ancestor of uh, Mr. Uh, Robotnik, as we know him to be. He says he came in peace, but Stephen Wolf overheard from another overlander saying, you know, hey, prepare to shoot and kill here. Stephen Wolf, with the help of his fire ant companion, Christopheles, gave the Overlanders extreme headaches and told them, never come back to the floating island. If you do, well, this is your warning. Locke then landed the shuttle, mentions how it wasn't always the case that Haven was kept a secret from the current Guardian. And uh, he talks then about how Stephen Wolf brought Moonwatcher into Haven and they periodically traded duties, basically making them co-guardians. And the arrangement worked, as Moonwatcher's son Harlan was brought in, and Harlan's son Rembrandt was then brought in. And then these five were christened themselves the Brotherhood of Guardians. So with this arrangement, it was kept until Rembrandt's son Aaron, who was new to the Guardian thing... It's me. Hi, I'm, I'm, I'm the Guardian. It's me. Uh, <laughs> well, we'll see about that. <laughs> so he was trekking through mobius's surface and encountered a hostile group of overlanders he was spotted and ran but when he stopped he found menkeener with other dark legionnaires who escaped from the twilight zone menkeener and the overlander leader were then prepping to launch a missile to attack the floating island and launched it upon seeing the guardian so aaron swoops in he opens the control hatch and as he was about to disarm it Menkeener tackles him as the rocket launched, and Menkeener was, like, seeing Aaron about to, like, press the switch and, like, make him panic. He's like, hold, whoa, 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 hold on here. Do not press that switch. The rocket will explode if you do so. To which Aaron takes his words less as a warning and more of a suggestion. <laughs> he flips the switch, the rocket explodes, and no trace of either Aaron or Menkeener was ever found. I I have to say the line really thanks for telling me and then he just the missile explodes kind of raw kind of raw kind of raw. raw it was kind of raw it was in a very bizarre way but yes kind of raw yeah, yeah kind of raw kind of raw all the guardians mourned Aaron's sacrifice Rembrandt especially as his younger son Jordan soon volunteered to train as the guardian to make up for the loss Rembrandt trained Jordan separately and gradually increased his responsibilities over time thus beginning the tradition of Guardian training. And Locke says that this was a necessary treatment, as Guardian needs to know how to pass or fail on their own, especially Knuckles. And that line there is kind of what makes Knuckles, like, push Locke a little bit. And uh, is like, hey, you keep saying this thing like, oh, especially me, especially I. Like, why am I so special? What? Why do you keep saying these things? And Locke is like, all right, okay, I'll, I'll tell you. I'll tell you what you want to know. So one night, before Knuckles was born, Locke had a nightmare vision from the ancient walkers. He saw an older Knuckles fighting, quote, so fearful an adversary. Locke woke up that night screaming and eventually decided to seek answers from a Thare, who told him that he indeed saw a vision of the future and there is hope 
if you prepare for it. Quote, to reconcile the past with the present to the next generation. In other words, Locke was told, use the forbidden technologies on yourself. Biogenetically enhance yourself so that when Laura Lee carried Knuckles, quote, the result was more than just our combined genetic structure. Ken Penders advocates for eugenics. The comic. So before Knuckles hatched, Locke had one last thing to do just to seal the deal. Locke brought Knuckles' egg into the Chaos Emerald Chamber, submitted it into a radiation bath, something that was much debated between him and the Brotherhood, just to make that clear. And when Knuckles hatched, he realized his efforts paid out. And this was because of one key factor. All of the Guardians, they got spikes on their gloves. On their gloves. But with Knuckles, he actually has spikes on the back of his hand. And that was the key to realizing, oh, this is a special. This is a special uh, situation we're in with this echidna here. And Knuckles pushes back saying, hey, what? why did you do all of that to me? Quote, did it ever just occur to you that I'd be happier just being your son? Locke pushes back saying, quote, how do you think I felt having to do all of this? Knuckles went through the same procedures as all of your ancestors, but the difference is that you have powers far beyond any other guardian and is now coming to realize them. Locke, my man, you are dad of the year. Doing things that you were like, oh man, woe is me. I had to biogenetically enhance my son to save the world from a from an unknown threat. Oh God, oh man, I'm so, oh God, oh no, oh no, oh. <laughs> I mean, do I even have to say anything? Like, I, okay, you know what? It's when we get to the end of the comic, we'll, we'll talk about it. Well, I'll this just, is the end. I'll just say, like, you, it's, this, this is fucking weird to admit, but, like, I literally use this story as, like, an intro to, like, talk to matches on Tinder with. <laughs> Are you kidding me? I am not kidding, and it works. Wow, dude, I can't believe you get mad game. By talking about motherfucking lock the echidna. I mean, what can I say? I mean, for $15 a month, you can exactly see why I do so well at this. <laughs> Patreon.com slash Sarsfeed. Patreon.com slash Sarsfeed. Patreon.com slash Sarsfeed. Let's go, boy. <laughs> dude, dude, dude. It's Have you ever watched Tyler 1? Mm. Yeah, you, you know, uh, <laughs> Tyler1.com, discount code alpha. That's the same <laughs> shit. It's the same thing. It's the same thing. So It's the same thing. <laughs> just to finish this off, uh, Knuckles is just like, oh, this this is way too much to deal with. I'm, I'm a little overwhelmed here. And Locke says, hey, put yourself in my shoes. Is having to sacrifice a world or siring a son to save it any less staggering a thought? To which Knuckles says, good point. Who wasn't? And asked what to do next. Locke then brings Knuckles in saying, hey, listen, put this aside for now. Uh, let's just go do something together as father and son. And uh, also, before we like fully wrap this up, I just want to point one thing out here. Mm. The story of Knuckles fighting this like so fearsome adversary, it was actually said in the editor's notes in that panel. This story will be told in an upcoming Sonic Super Special called Knuckles 20 Years Later. Now, way early on, if you're an OG, you'll know what I'm about to say here. Way earlier on in the podcast, uh, we mentioned something about like Knuckles 20 Years Later and thought, oh wait, hold on. I thought the meme was Knuckles 25 Years Later or Mobius 25 Years Later, I should say. And yes, that is true. So, long story short, Knuckles 20 years later was uh, shelved 
and Ken Penders decided to retool it as Mobius 25 years later with a completely different story. And you know what? I even decided to fly a little too close to the sun. I tweeted at Ken Penders asking him, is Knuckles 20 years later canon to 25 years later? Sadly, he has not answered me. But in the editing process, if he does, I will, you know, hard cut right here and you'll get your answer. That's that's some deep lore. Um, we'll we'll probably have more comments on Mobius twenty five years later when we eventually get to it. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a lot there that I I have feelings about. I haven't fully like done a read through of Mobius twenty five years later or what is it? Is it Mobius thirty five years later or thirty years later? Uh, thirty years later. Yeah, that's the continuation that Ian Flynn wrote for the record. Right. Yeah. Which which I if I remember correctly from what I read, I was actually vaguely interested in, but. I need I need to read twenty five years later, but uh, honestly, I think it's interesting that 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 the that the Knuckles t- twenty years later project was sort of shelved because at this point you would assume that like they would they would just kind of let Ken Penders do that, right? But they didn't. I mean, I don't know exactly why it was canceled as a thing, unless it was like Ken Penders deciding like, oh no, like I have a much better idea. Let's like I'm gonna like shelve it and retool it. Maybe that could yeah. have been the case. I don't know. Maybe it was the editor just saying, like, no, we're drawing a line here. Like, we're not letting you do this. <laughs> Knuckles 20 years later was so fucking batshit and so insane that they that the, even the editors at the time were like, wait, what are we doing? No, 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 no. No, you can't. Oh. You can't, bro. <laughs> um, so I guess we're basically done with this comic, right? Yep, that's, that's Knuckles number 25, the big Knuckles 25, done and dusted. Do you have any thoughts? Because I feel like we should talk about this. Because I do I do think that this is, like, a pretty significant... Like, obviously, it's another exposition dump. But, like, I feel like we should talk about it, you know? I mean, I kind of feel like I said everything I need to. Like, like it speaks for itself, in my opinion. Just, like, you read this and you're basically getting an exposition dump of just, like, oh, my God, this is just hot gar- garbage. I mean, at worst, you can just look about this and just be like, I don't care about any of this. I just want to see Knuckles punch something. Why is this, like, whole lore being set up? And now you're going to come out here and say, oh, this story of, like, Knuckles fighting the so fearsome of the adversary that is basically supposed to be the conclusion of everything Ken Penders has been setting up to this point, at least in regards to Knuckles. And then, like... Yeah, obviously you'll find this out later on with as you were getting the comics, but then it becomes like, oh, we, this you're never going to get this 20 years later, but we're going to give you Mobius 25 years later, which, if what I'm assuming is correct, takes place after 20 years later in the canon. It did right. happen at some point. I think it did happen in the canon. I, I don't remember too well. I don't have Mobius 25 years later like in the filing cabinets of my memory. But I do think they do like reference events that happen, or what would have happened in Knuckles twenty years later. Right? Yeah, you would have you would you would assume so just because you know it's Penders and Penders never leaves an idea to chance. He'll fucking explain and force you through everything. I mean, I feel like the problem with the Guardian, the, the okay, the problem of trying to give meaning to the Guardian, right, is that the idea isn't inherently bad. You know, it's not an inherently bad idea to try and give lore to the to, to the to the idea of the Guardian, right? But again, it's a like like we've both mentioned several times. It's the it's the Ken Penders problem where he doesn't understand how to do storytelling in a way that's very organic. A lot of the storytelling is just exposition dumps. So when you have this exposition dump about the Guardian, you don't care about it. The only things that you can really parse is that, like, okay, there was a ton of crazy shit that happened with the Guardians. 
And the reason because of Knuckles and his dad being basically separated was because it's a long tradition for the Guardians, and that's it, right? Yeah. Because some Overlanders were a bunch of pieces of shit. And, like, if that isn't the thesis of these comics, where it's just, if Ken Penders was better at storytelling and actually spaced himself and took a time, took his time to breathe, then you could get into some of this stuff. But it's just too obscure. No, it's, it's too... not even too obscure. It's just that, like, part of it is what you said of, like, this is just going so fast, you, can, you can't parse it. Like, okay, the, the stuff about, like, the Guardians and all the lore that's being set up there, like, this is genuinely interesting. Like, I find myself compelled reading about that, and I wasn't like, oh, I'm not going to say no uh, to learn more about this, like, you know cabal i guess but at the same time it's just like this is just going like way too fast and it's like oh the irony of this being sonic the hedgehog comic is not lost on me but at the yeah, same I time mean... <laughs> like like come on man like this is a comic like uh, mo- here's the thing ken penders breaks the cardinal rule of comics in which like if you have like a panel you should not have like a paragraph's worth of text like on one panel it should be like a couple of sentences at best. Right. Meanwhile, Penders just wants to take all the time in the world just write. Yeah. It's like, if you wanted to give me a Google Doc for me to read, then yeah, I can read your fucking Google Doc, but I'm out I'm I'm at a comic to look at images, not to read a fucking Google Doc. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I think I think that's all I really have to say on this issue. I mean it's it's just more Penders fucking BS. And like, and how. And how. And, and we'll move and how. A- We'll move away from Ken Penders and uh, we'll, we'll go back to the, the, po- the point of this podcast, Sonic the Hedgehog, with Sonic the Hedgehog number 72, written by uh, our man Carl Bowler's art by Stephen Butler. Y- you know how it's going to be. We're going to maybe have a little bit more normalcy. Maybe. We'll open. The Freedom Fighters are making some deliveries in Knothole, and they're bringing to every house what's called a telecrate. Built by our man Nate Morgan, so every citizen can see King Max's address later tonight. Basically, uh, my man Nate Morgan just invented TV. He's doomed the Mobian. Society's about to cl- plummet like at a exponential yeah, it's rate fucking, now. It's fucking over. I I also want to comment on this, and I know that this maybe isn't necessarily like the place or time, but like Nate Morgan being like this badass black scientist in a in a in a Sonic comic in the late nineties. It's honestly good representation, you know, and I kind of fuck with it. You know yeah. what? I, I didn't even think of that. You know, you're absolutely yeah. right. Dude, it ju- it honestly just occurred to me. And, like, to me, I think that's, like, it's weird because you don't expect that normally, like, when it comes to this era of writing. And especially, you know, with Ken Penders and uh, some, some of his... Uh, uh, very interesting political views uh, <laughs> that that we will not get into, but I think that it's it's really cool that like Nate Morgan, you know, is just this motherfucking badass, and he's like actual representation, and they they just don't shy away from it, and I love that. Like he's a legitimately cool character, and I I love that. Yeah, he's very compelling. I actually do enjoy his character a lot. Like, we kind of are, like, kind of, like, I guess burnt out on the trope of, like, Sonic's human friend as a result of Sonic X. At least with Nate Morgan, it's like, yeah, dude's, like, lived a hell of a life. And he was, like, a genuine aid to King Acorn and helped bring the kingdom out of the Dark Ages, basically. Like, he's, like, an established person within the canon already. He is is inherently, like... Yeah, I'm not going to refer to the games too much, but like one of one of the best aspects, and I think that's something that like the Sonic franchise as a whole has always really like 
you know, it, it's always been like a back theme is the idea of like nature versus technology and how things can grow. And I always really liked, at least in Sonic CD, right? The idea of the good future and the bad future, because the bad future is one where technology is kind of like overtaken everything and destroy the environment but like the good future is like this perfect harmony of nature and technology and i feel like nate morgan with a lot of what he did at least in the comics it's like a representation of the good future and i think that's what's really cool sometimes about this comic it's something that like they really do play on more in like these in the earlier issues where the plot is a lot more of the adventures of sonic the hedgehog stuff where it's sonic versus sonic and the freedom fighters versus robotnik right the the conflict of nature versus technology is central to this comic and i think that nate morgan represents the middle point and the best possible outcome and i think again that's why he's a compelling character because he he feels natural in that way oh yeah definitely i agree 100 percent. like these comics can have original characters and they can be compelling it's just there needs to be a good reasoning for them fucking existing and i think nate morgan is one of those examples it's great it's great love it yeah so uh, as they're making the last delivery, Rotor tells everyone, uh, hey, guys, uh, uh, remember a while ago where I uh, like found my family but you know couldn't retrieve them in the northern tundra? Uh, yeah, I'm going to go now. I'm going to go find them. And uh, please, like, don't come with me. This is my mission. I got to take care of it. Uh, peace. Bye. Sans Rotor now. The Freedom Fighters now make their way back to Castle Acorn. With Max uh, the King saying that this distribution was so every citizen will know uh, Queen Alicia's in stasis, but she's alive. Sonic and Tails defeated Ixis Nagus, and everything's all back to normal now. With the stage set, we're about to begin. And by the way, this director looks like uh, Chester the Cheetah. I just wanted to point that out. It's either part. It's either that, or you know, as I should like, as, as real intellectual thinking men refer to him as, much like our man Laserbot of Tales Gets Trolled fame, uh, Cheeto Man. Strike one, motherfucker! Strike one. <laughs> so, as Max delivers his speech, another final satellite activates over Mobius, and as the citizenry is watching the king's speech, it's interrupted by a pirate signal which broadcasts a documentary about Dr. Robotnik, and it plays uninterrupted. Born Julian Kintober of the House of Ivo, he was intellectually gifted from a very early age, the youngest of his family, mother, father, and an older brother, Colin. In adulthood, Julian worked under Nate Morgan in Megapolis and eventually became head researcher. This was around the time when the Great War broke out, and Julian created a weapon that would have ended the war once and for all, the ultimate annihilator sounds a little familiar yeah a little little familiar familiar all that was missing was a certain mineral ore to power the machine but it was never approved due to julian using overlanders as test subjects for the annihilator who would have thought robotnik not being above human experimentation wow what a shocker julian though escaped the imprisonment and was found in the mobian badlands by two hedgehogs who were no real threat to which we then see Jules and Chuck looking at the TV solemnly. And after being brought to King Max, who, of course, was also watching in shock, Julian was accepted to help the Mobians win the war, and after learning battle tactics from Kodos, Julian threw him into the zone of silence and quickly took over his warlord position. Days later, Snively, Julian's nephew, arrived, swearing allegiance to him and him alone, and together they built the SWATBOTS, then took Chuck's roboticizer to make more mechanical legions. 
And then, ten years ago to the date, a mechanical blimp flew over the Mobius skyline, revealing himself as Dr. Robotnik and overthrew King Max. But then, Sonic the Hedgehog and the Freedom Fighters arrived to take the fight against Robotnik. Uh, Robotnik, at some point, went back to Megalopolis to expand his empire, but he found the city abandoned, so just wasn't a point for him. Later on, his creation Eve sapped him and transported him into an alternate future and saw himself as Robo-Robotnik, who sent him back to his time and was revealed as Son and and reveled as Sonic was accused for su the supposed murder of Princess Sally Acorn. And it culminated with Robotnik, quote, sacrificing himself in the final fight against Sonic, and the documentary ends. Which, you know, that last point, I guess that's one way to see it. I didn't, I didn't necessarily think about this, but like, the idea of Robotnik doing a faux documentary about himself as a, you know, the good I mean, guys. That's kind of cute. I mean, it's kind of cute. I mean, it's not out of character. It's definitely not. It's, it's very in line with this character. I think that, um, let's compare the lore dump that we just fucking experienced in the last comic to this, right? Because there's a clear distinction in how this is told. First of all, the setup, it's a documentary. So obviously there's going to be details that are, you know, manipulated, right? Mm -hmm. And second of all, it allows us to learn a little bit more about Robotnik and his backstory and also refresh the reader of in course. a meaningful way. Because <laughs> as we... Like, half the stuff, especially, like, the later half, we already knew. The newest information was basically, like, his early years. Right. And more importantly, it helps the reader get adjusted and set and ready for what is to come. Mm -hmm. And I think, to me, that speaks volumes about the quality of the Sonic comics compared to the Knuckles comics. There is a clear attempt to make sure that the reader is caught up, understood, made aware of the main central conflict now. And now that everyone's on the same page, we can continue with the story and not have to do exposition dumps, right? Mm. Right? Yeah. It, it, yeah. It's, 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 it's not rocket science, it's dude. Not, it's, it's not rocket science. And with the documentary over, though, the signal gets lost, Sally immediately calls Sonic, asking if they saw what everyone else did, and figured, oh, we used Robotnik tech to make the TV, so maybe this broadcast just got mixed with old signals, so don't don't worry too much about it. Sonic has a heart-to-heart -heart with his family, saying that, oh, his life is kind of boring ever since they defeated Robotnik, especially since Sally said they all have to start school again soon. It's all way past over. So, that, what you were saying about how setting up the reader for what's to come, this is a very crucial line. If you're taking <laughs> notes... Take oh, note on God, that. No, 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 no. I, I, I fucking, I know where this goes later, and I fucking hate it so much. I hate it so much. I hate you, Cam Penders. I hate when hey, you do it. Hey, this is Carl Bowler's fault. Bl put okay. the blame on the correct person. Okay, why would you do this, Carl Bowler's? Like, bro, we don't need to see this. I, I do like that We're there is. Go ahead, go ahead. Go I, ahead, I was just going to say, like, we, we're kind of jumping the gun on this. We can get to that when we get to that, but... Yeah. Yeah. I, I will say, though, you know, I do like that Sonic does have the moment of self-reflection mm -hmm. where he's like, you know, it's it's definitely because, you know, at least in a lot of the, the canon of Sonic as a character, you don't get to see him have the little, like, slow moments. You know, it's always about what's the next thing, right? But mm -hmm. now that he's kind of adjusted to a more civilian lifestyle now, it's like, oh. huh, he needs that little moment, you know? Yes, definitely. 
Meanwhile, Snively is awoken by footage of, quote, his treachery that caused your uncle's unfortunate demise, and for that, I brand you a traitor. Snively, in shock of seeing the Robotnik-shaped figure in the shadows, can only mutter, no, not you. And that's where the story ends, boys. Wow. Incredible. Love it. You love to see it. You love to see it. But we're still not over with this comic because we got a story B, which, of course, brought to us by Ken Penders. And I'm not going to lie, this is actually pretty enticing. I, I, th- I think you guys will like this. The Tales of the Great War. Ken Penders, of course, wrote. Art Mowini did the art. In the time of King Alexander Acorn, contact with the Overlanders was benign and not important until his grandson Emerson met with an Overlander boy named Paladin. Emerson said he was moving north and stopped to a nearby creek for water, and Paladin came to the creek to do target practice. To which Paladin pulls out a gun, shoots a branch, and knocks it clean off. And yes, this isn't like, you know, one of the... In the past, we've seen like these weird, like, you know, oh, this is clearly like, it looks like a water gun, but it's a laser gun. It's a no, gun. It's a it has bullets. Gun. Yeah, it has, has a full fucking... He's, dude, my man's got the Glock. He's my man, to, my man's got a piece. He's ready to go. <laughs> oh, no. Oh, my God. So, after Emerson climbs up the tree, uh, Paladin offers to have him try it out for himself. And he says it's a little heavier than it looks. And uh, Emerson pulls the trigger aimlessly, is knocked flat on his back out of the recoil. And Paladin suggests to try something, quote, challenging, like something that moves. He points at a bird, to which Emerson jumps in front of the barrel. He takes the shot, with his last words being should never take the life of a living creature. Paladin freaks the fuck out. He runs away as Emerson's name is being called out, and his father, King Theodore, sees his son's lifeless body and the Overlander boy running away. Instead of pursuing revenge, Theodore then instilled a policy of non-contact with the savage Overlanders and banned the use of gun-like weapons in the realm. Quote, Unbeknownst to the king, this policy would result in greater misunderstanding, leading to decades of war. That's the end of Sonic number 72. I think it's, this is like an example of like Ken Penders, I guess, like trying to set up the lore and it actually working because it's handled in a unique and interesting way. First of all, I just want to point out, this is entirely unintentional. This fucking reminds me, uh, the first Hokage and fucking Madara Uchiha are you seriously comparing Naruto to my Sonic the Hedgehog? Yes. What a novel concept. I've never heard of that before. Dude, dude, it is eerily similar. Like, the two of them come from, like, opposing clans, right? Quote-unquote opposing, right? And then they slowly start to become friends before they're torn apart by a misunderstanding and, and circumstances out of their control, Right. And that's what I'm just reminded of when I read this. <laughs> but I I did actually enjoy this. I thought this was kind of cool how, like, Penders is, like, sort of showing the seeds that led to the eventual, like, collapse between the Overlanders and um, the Mobians. And, like, the way that it was integrated was pretty cool. It, it was. Because keep in mind, like, this is these stories are basically being told, uh, just as a refresher for the audience, these stories are being told as, like, Tales and Amy are in a library reading basically like the not ancient history but like less than contemporary history of mobius and the mobians in particular so it is like a very nice like way to bridge the gap between like the narrative i like it i do 
Yeah, I I agree with that entirely. I think that kind of like what we were talking about earlier, where it felt a lot more natural in that way, you know, feels like we're not just experiencing or being told the lore, we're actually like, seeing it happen in real time. And, you know, the storybook flavor at the end really like, adds to that, you know? True, true, very true. I, I, I like this little story. It's good. It's good. It's good. And there, there'll be more of this. I guarantee you. <laughs> yeah, I'm pretty sure this continues in the next issue, right? Uh, no, because the next issue we're going to be reading, and uh, <sighs> hold on to your joysticks, boys, because this one's not going to be one you're expecting. Uh, Sabrina the Teenage Witch number twenty-eight. So I'm going to be completely honest and say that I did not fully read sabrina the teenage witch 28 well the reason but but there but but there's a good reason why we are reading sabrina the teenage witch mm -hmm. number 28 yes and it's because you know because yes if you haven't assumed it is indeed a crossover with sonic the hedgehog yes absolutely that's why we're here that's why we in this sonic the hedgehog podcast are talking about sabrina the teenage witch number 28 and on that note uh it does cover two stories however i'm just gonna glaze over the first story because it just sets up the next story that actually does have sonic in it so i'm just gonna say like just to set the floor one of the uh, sabrina's like uh antagonists enchantra is taking revenge on sabrina because she uh like fictionalized her for a school report and so she tries to like fuck with her a little bit and it doesn't really go out super well because her assistant uh didn't put in the order correctly it's very like very bland it's a, it's standard like don't worry too much about it and for the record uh mike gallagher was the one who wrote it so like it, it blends very well narratively like if you read this you think oh yeah it was definitely mike gallagher who wrote this so basically the only like real takeaway and the real transition from this story into the next is literally just sabrina's cat and familiar salem saying oh don't worry about anything like i just i only read sonic the hedgehog comic books now so with that seamless transition and we'll be right back with the archie sonic digest after this and we're back with Archie Sonic Digest to give in the story about Sabrina the Teenage Witch that we are supposed to care about in regards to Sonic the Hedgehog. Uh, Enchantress assistant Della, she's gotten her new equipment, it's all good, and uh, they uh, decide to spy in on Sabrina's house, and uh, since Sabrina's aunts are away, they decide uh, this is the perfect time to strike, and decide to use Della's new computer to quote, uh, enhance her power she's logged the fuck in ladies and gentlemen bro, like direct bro. direct ethernet cable to the back of the head logged the fuck in this bitch extremely online <laughs> literally and thanks to being so online she can see beyond her universe and sees the world of mobius warps her consciousness there seeing Sally and Sonic arguing. And uh, as Nicole interrupts and distracts Sally, Sonic walks away and ends up being hypnotized by Enchantra and warps away. Sally follows and sees the residue of the warp. Nicole analyzes it as brimstone, and since the portal is still open, they go in to follow Sonic. And in the realm Enchantra lives in, uh, she's fully in control of Sonic and sends him off to, quote, lay waste to Westbridge. And uh, Sonic wanders in via uh, the house closet, and Salem recognizes him and does the whole, holy shit, dude, I'm such a huge fan, I got all your comics, bro. And Sonic attacks him in response, poorly, might I add, and breaks through that wall of the house. And upon hearing the commotion, Sabrina comes downstairs, 
and Sonic pushes through the wall again. He charges in, and Salem trips Sonic with cat litter, causing him again to to trip. And Sabrina walks to get uh, her Aunt Hilda's emergency book of spells. Sally walks out of the closet, slamming it in Sabrina's face. The true introduce each other to one another. Sonic, however, is fucking pissed, and Nicole analyzes that he was hypnotized. But the story ends there and will be concluded in Sonic Super Special number 10. So I also want to point out, and this is maybe like a weird comparison, but hypnotize Sonic's eyes. Kind of like Super Sonic's eyes from the English comics. This is not the last comparison. We'll have to start at the comic too. I'm just saying. I'm just saying, boys. I'm just saying. Just saying. There, it is It is interesting because despite the comics being very different in their own regard, I actually have not read any of Sonic the comic, but it has been something that I have been meaning to do for a very long time. Um there is stuff that oddly happens in both comics very similarly. Like, very similarly. I mean, we know that there hasn't been, like, any coordination between the two. But, like, any coincidences are just coincidences. But you know what? Maybe maybe that's a future project. Uh, you know, maybe. Hey, I don't know. I don't know. Uh, there is There is definitely something that is coming up fairly soon that is very interesting because... Again, there was no coordination between the two comics, and there's an event that is very much similar to Sonic the Comic, and I think it's really interesting. But uh, as we wait with bated breath for said event, let's get into the aforementioned comic, Sonic Super Special number 10, Crossover Chaos. And boy, oh boy, there's a crossover, and it certainly (laughs) is chaotic. Uh, no, no, no. <laughs> so, we'll start off with the continuation of uh, One Enchantra Evening, that story was called. Uh, Sonic is right about to attack Sabrina and Sally. Sabrina saps him away so the two can regroup and just muddle on the situation. She tracks Sonic to Mount Everest, Enchantra does, and sends him back, not before, though, establishing a mind link with him. And as Sally and Sabrina talk back to one another, Nicole is alerted that Sonic is back in Westbridge and is heading towards Sabrina's high school. Sabrina takes off to confront Sonic, but not before Nicole alerts Sally to a second thing. I will know in a little bit. So Sabrina warps to Sonic's location, trips Sonic, and after he gets his bearings, uh, Sonic entraps Sabrina in a figure eight, a vortex vacuum as he calls it, and deprives her of oxygen, which, I mean, you could definitely do that, but like, Damn. Damn, Sonic about a kill on site. What the fuck? And uh, before Sabrina passes out from oxygen deprivation, she transports a nearby tree into Sonic's path, knocking him out cold. And Enchantra and Della see the connection broken as Sally, Nicole, and Salem appear behind them in said realm and points them out that her warp portal residue that Enchantra took Sonic from is still open and threatens to give the location to every villain on Mobius. Which, <laughs> as funny as that is, is kind of boss. I mean, listen. I feel like one of the things that like the Archie comics always did well, at least in my opinion, is that Sally has always been a really good character. And when push comes to shove, the writers can actually put her in a lot of situations that are pretty interesting and pretty funny. This is one of those situations. Like, Sally is quick on her feet. Like, she knows, like, how she can easily turn the tide of this shit. And she fucking does. Like, it's nothing. I'll give props to Mike Gallagher for that, too. Because, of course, he was the one that wrote this as with the last one. And, yeah, he really knows his stuff. I'll give him credit. 
Enchantra takes the threat lightly, but then Sonic shows up with Sabrina in his right mind and gets back at Enchantra for enslaving him. And she blurts out that, hey, listen, look, I was doing all this just because I wanted revenge on Sabrina. Her school report fictionalized me. To which Sabrina was like, wait, seriously? That's all that this is about? Like, we can work this out. Why did you need to get them involved? And she's like, oh, yeah, I'll, I'll send them back. Quote, with no memory of their otherworldly travels. Sabrina just said that she fictionalized Enchantra because mortals will not be able to comprehend her genius and beauty. A line she accepts, all is forgiven. Her and Salem get sent back home. And uh, Salem left upset because uh, he didn't get Sonic to sign his comics, which... A, a thing I could relate to, if Sonic the Hedgehog appeared in my home, I definitely would want him to sign all of my Sonic comics. So, I, I, I relate. I relate. Schmood. Fat schmood. And back on Mobius, Sonic and Sally are left in the days, no memory of past events, and just kind of carry on their way. Story ends. Yeah. Uh, I mean... I mean, and here's the funny thing about this. Technically... Technically, the story isn't canon to, like, Archie Sonic as a whole, but I could not do you the disservice of not covering this comic. Do you feel more enriched that we talked about this? Because I don't. I definitely don't. I, I don't. I don't either. However, the next story that we are going to talk about is actually important, and it is going to become important in the lore. Mm -hmm. Because, surprisingly, this is a concept that gets returned to a, a lot. lot. And I think that this is one of the Sonic comics' best strengths. Sometimes there are concepts that are really cool and are told off in these one-off issues, right? But then they're not really fully expanded upon, but then they just come back all of a sudden and you're really into them. This is one of those cases because we're dealing with the alternate Mobius that Sonic went to where every character is a flipped evil, well, flipped version of themselves. So evil Sonic is obviously one of the characters that, you know, a lot of people kind of just forgot about. But then this comic comes back and it's like, wait, he's still around. Why are the writers talking about him? That was a one-off issue, right? Uh, more so, or less. I mean, he does yeah. come back every now and again. But like, yes, with that note, on bated breath, we'll talk about Zone Wars, A Tale of Two Hedgehogs, written by Carl Bowler's art by Jim Valentino. So on Anti-Mobius... Uh, evil Sonic and the anti-freedom fighters are trying to accost Dr. Kentobor. They have no way to break through the force field into the Great Forest, so they turn tail and head back to Mobotropolis. In the throne room, Sally is complaining to Sonic, saying, Hey, you used to be such a go-getter. What happened to the Sonic that threw my dad into the zone of silence? And uh, Antoine quips, eh, somewhere pattering his nose, perhaps, as he goes up to Sally, basically saying that he can provide the leadership that Sonic lacks, uh, <clears throat> among other things. And Sonic laughs at this suggestion as Antoine throws a knife near his head and then leads him to wrap Antoine's neck in a chain saying, Bro, cool it. This is the fourth time this week you've tried to ice me. And uh, Sally, along with the rest of the Freedom Fighters, decide we're fed up with you. We're tired of your shit. Goodbye. Have fun being the sole leader of this fucking realm. Fuck you. And uh, right there and then, a bright light pops up behind offering Antisonic a deal, to which he says he's all ears. In the Prime Zone we move to, the Freedom Fighters are having a nice picnic, they're living their lives, and are interrupted by Zonic, the Zone Cop, if you remember him from the last episode, who came for Sonic saying, hey, 
a new threat has emerged, and only Sonic Prime can stop it. I can't believe we're calling him Sonic Prime. Well, that's what he calls him. I'm just I'm just doing what the writers are saying. No, we're calling know, him Sonic Prime. All right, that's I know. What we're calling him today. I, it's 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 just so fucking funny to me. Just Sonic Prime, dude. You're like it's fucking Star Trek. So, I know. <laughs> Sonic brings Sonic into the no zone and sees monitors full of alternate Sonics. And Zonic points to Anti-Sonic, who has been zone-hopping, collecting the pieces of the giant Borg, who Sonic Prime and other Sonics teamed up to defeat, and spread parts around the multiverse in the hopes of it never being able to be repaired. And he also points out, yes, normally zone-hopping is impossible, but thanks to the effects of the Ultimate Annihilator, anything is possible. <sighs> we're, it's time, isn't it? We're getting getting real close. We're getting real close. So, unfortunately, Anti-Sonic kind of beat them all to the punch and got most of the parts already, all except for one. We then cut to the last Sonic missing, the Sonic from the Sonic Underground reality. Because, you know, you know, you're seeing it right there. You're wondering when that was going to come up. I I just want to point out, I think Sonic Underground might actually be the worst piece of Sonic um, non-game-related media to ever exist. Uh, I, this is kind of an aside, but uh, I went to uh, my local Walmart recently, and uh, I was perusing the, the the movie section, and I found, like, volume one of Sonic Underground there for, like, $4. Did you and buy I it? buy it. Yeah, I bought it. I mean, so, look, it, it, it was $4. <laughs> it was $4. What am I supposed to do? Everything about Sonic Underground as a concept, I hate. Everything about the show, I hate. It's just the most annoying, obnoxious, dumb, stupid shit. And it's the equivalent of wanting to blow my brains out. And that's I an opinion hate. That's an opinion that's shared with Ben Hurst, the uh, writer for Sad AM. The dude knows... Sonic Underground is just an infinitely worse sad I am. It's it's so bad. And honestly, the problem of trying to have a Sonic Underground X Sonic comic crossover is that you just infinitely see how out of place all of the concepts are. It really is, and it's kind of amazing. But you know what? I respect them trying to bring it in. I can respect it, but I don't agree with it in the slightest. I mean, but here's the funny thing, and I'll, I'll get to that in a minute, but... The Sonic Underground reality. Sonic uh, was just jamming out with his brother and sister, Manic and Sonya, and they're interrupted when Sonic Prime and Zonic show up above, asking for the Borg piece, to which Underground Sonic says, Hey, wait a minute. You're another version of myself that also asked for this Borg piece, which I don't fucking have. Leave me alone. And uh, read this as, uh, Sonic never recruited this version of himself in that story because apparently Zonic forgot to find him. Which, let's also, like, let's put the floor here. Let's put the floor here. That issue that happened with the giant Borg was, like, issue 11. Sonic Underground was, like, obviously not around during that time. So this is just a little bit of, like, retroactive canon. Literally, the easiest thing to say is, like, you forgot that this existed when it never did in the first place. Pretty much, Well, what, yeah. what can I do? What can I say? Yeah, and what else can I do? There's very little you can do there. I mean, it's fine. Yeah, whatever. Underground Sonic tells Prime and Zonic about his situation. His he and his siblings are royalty. They were deposed when Robotnik took over. There's some prophecy that says they need to find their mom, who gave them up after the coup, and after reuniting, can defeat Robotnik once and for all. 
That's that's the plot of Sonic Underground, basically. Like there triplets you go. born, the throne awaits. Give up your children, separate by your time. Lie in wait, Sonic Underground. They made a vow their mother will be found. Alright, that's enough of that. Yeah, okay, yeah. Um, I will say a ton of shit about that fucking show, but unironically, theme song kind of slaps. The, the theme song does slap, and I will not back down. That, that's yeah, that's I, some I, good I stuff. It is some yeah. good stuff. Uh, Joel from Vine Saucer in that song for me. <laughs> uh, six Feet Underground, yep. Oh my god, I'm gonna watch the clip after this episode. I'm gonna lose my mind. So, uh, meanwhile, Anti-Sonic arrives to underground Robotnik, mistaking him for the one that recruited him, and gives him the giant Borg pieces that he collected. This Robotnik is like, I don't know what got into you, Sonic, but whatever, I'll take it, and has Anti-Sonic imprisoned for roboticization. And the Robotnik that Anti-Sonic actually made the deal with uh, noticed all of this and just decides to cut his losses and goes away. He already has what he needs, according to him. Wait, what does he get from this realm? I completely forget. Uh, what do you mean? What are you asking? Like, so wait, why did he even enlist Evil Sonic in the first place? To get the 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 Borg pieces. Oh, right, right, right. And then we move to a scene with the giant Borg assembled, underground Robotnik piloting it, with underground Sonic, Manic, Sonya, Sonic Prime, and Zonic witnessing the carnage and come up with a plan. Underground Sonic goes to call Robotnik's attention, lures him out of the city, to which Prime and Zonic warp into the control room, confusing Robotnik, who launched a missile to Underground Sonic, which makes him run around, causes the missile to enter the path of the Borg, he runs up into the cockpit, warps away with the Sonics and Robotnik, leaving the Borg destroyed. Meanwhile, Manic and Sonya rescue Anti-Sonic from Robotnik's prisons, in order to be moved to the no-zone prison. And uh, in the end, Zonic reports that order in the zones was restored, and all is well. And for the anti-freedom fighters, it turns out, quote, Evil St. John is its new leader, which upon learning that, Anti-Sonic faints from shock. This is actually fucking foreshadowing for way later in this comic. Way later. Way later. Way fucking later. Way fucking later. Um... All I'll say about this, it's a Sonic Underground crossover. They're there. They're they don't there. do anything, mm-hmm. but they're mm-hmm. there. <sighs> okay, well, I mean, I don't have any fucking words to say on that shit. Fuck, yep. fuck Sonic Underground. Anyways, I think that's that's it for this for the super special, right? Yep. And we'll quickly move on to Sonic number 73. Carl Bowlers did the writing, Stephen Butler did the art. So we open. Sonic has given his parents small power rings to wear as wristbands to act as a wedding jewelry, an anniversary gift. His parents love it. Sonic saying, oh, you know, I can't take all the credit. Nate and Uncle Chuck help make the bands anyway. Chuck appreciates the gesture, but actually shows a little upset, saying that, oh, you know, Nate isn't really credited with the creation of the power rings in the official kingdom records. He really should be. To which Nate says, hey, you know, don't worry about it. It was King Max's idea to be unpersoned as, uh, you know, just so history wouldn't remember me as a traitor. I'm cool with it. I've made my peace. And just as Nate was about to leave, Sally calls Sonic to come to the castle 
and the two leave together. Sally in her room talking to Nicole saying she called everyone they should all be on their way as Elias overhears the distress in her voice and just decides to ask her what's going on. And in here, Elias has a little bit of a heart-to-heart -heart saying that he's not super adjusted living here. They, he barely talks to father because his work as king just takes up so much time to begin with. And Sally says, well, hey, listen, like, I, my world was basically turned upside down after learning that I had a twin brother who was destined to rule instead of me. And on that note, he basically admits what's been on his mind from the get-go. I don't want to be king. I spent my entire life on the floating island looking for a cure for mom. I want adventure. I don't want to rule a kingdom. But I doubt dad will understand. That's... That's heavy stuff, let's be honest here. That's not something I expected to see in this comic. It's weird because, like, previous issues, we had this whole thing, right? Where Sally is just like, but I don't want to lead. I just I just want to fuck around and do whatever the fuck I want. And King Acorn, because he's a, fuck, he's a fucking douchebag, he's like, no, fuck you, you'll marry who I want because I'm the king. Mm. And, like, I think it's interesting that both siblings ultimately don't want to fucking rule because they want to live their lives and they don't want to have to deal i mean it's kind of like a weird like mix-up at the end of the day because at one point you have a kid who kind of had like this life mission inside of himself like oh my mom's in cryostasis i we need to find a cure for this like i know i'm the prince of this long lost kingdom as far as i know but that's not really a concern right now. My mom is in stasis. And then Sally, on the other hand, is leading a rebellion trying to get her kingdom back. And now they're actually in the situation of like, okay, we got our kingdom back. Father's alive. We're having some sense of normalcy now. And it's like, oh, wait a minute. I actually have to be prepped to rule. A I didn't think I'd get this far. Right, like, they didn't, well, of course they didn't plan for it, right? Because they both were living their own lives at that point. But like- That and their children. Yeah, and they're technically children. They're like, what, 16? Yeah, more or less. Yeah, yeah, more or less. And I think it's interesting because of what happens later on in the comic, which we're not going to get into right now, but like how that's sort of played up and taken into account when a lot of things occur. And mm. I think, I do think there's some interesting stuff that comes to that. Meanwhile, Snively is on a satellite talking to someone in total shock and asked, oh, what do you intend to do with these satellites? <laughs> to which he says to Snively, observe. Meanwhile, the Freedom Fighters come to Sally's room and she shares data that she collected over the past couple of months. Mysterious satellites coming online over the past couple of months. They were coming on over the same points that Sonic and Tails were at during their trek across Mobius. The Southern Tundra, the Deerwood Forest, and most recently, the seventh satellite came online during the crisis where Knothole was hit with a time-reversing energy beam. You remember that? Like we all love that. Come on, great story, great story. It was, it was, it was legitimately pretty fucking wild. <laughs> Did you? I, I can't tell if you're being sarcastic or not. Did you actually enjoy that story? Uh, in spades. It was an interesting in setup. Yeah, they, they, I, I will admit that it was very weird how they did this like out of order issue and how strange and surrealist it got, which is definitely something that you don't get really to see in terms of like comic telling, like, and how they like manipulated sort of the whole story and how it was like, I mean, it was novel and I appreciate the effort. Yeah, I mean, the execution, uh, mm. not that great, but I, I it's, enjoyed it's interesting it. I idea. enjoyed it for yeah. what it was. Yeah, as did I. As did I. Yeah. So, uh, this eighth one that they found was offline when Nicole grabbed the documents and Antoine and Bunny suspect that it was turned on last night 
when King Max's address was hijacked with the Robotnik documentary. They intend to inform the King, who conveniently walks in right at that moment, and they all learn that the 8th satellite came online 45 minutes ago, over Knothole, with all 8 satellites becoming linked to a main hub, as Sonic runs to Knothole to warn everybody, but finds the place abandoned. He goes to his parents' house. No one's there. It's empty, a ghost town, and dejected. Sonic is being monitored over the satellite by Snively and a seemingly revived Dr. Robotnik. He's back. He's back, boys. He's back. Give a round of a... Yes. Yes. So this is probably my favorite thing about what this comic in terms of like how it, how it handles the return of Robotnik. We're going to find out more in the next Sonic issue. And we'll talk about it when we get to it. But I think that, like, in terms of setting the stage for his reveal, there's been hints and pieces and little breadcrumbs all over the place. Mm. And now they're being linked together, both literally and figuratively, right? Because the satellite's linking together. Mm -hmm. And what's even better, you take a look at the satellites. What do they spell out? Robotnik. What? No. Oh, God. Oh, what? No way. No way. Yeah, they do. The satellites are all named after the letters of Robotnik. Bro, my elements are so activated right now. Holy (laughs) shit. I, I I do like that Robotnik's return was foreshadowed. In reality, you can't have a Sonic comic without Robotnik. And the way they bring him back is definitely actually really cool. And it's something that you didn't, you would not expect. But it's... It's interesting. I liked it. Oh, and it's only going to get more wild as uh, we learn more details. But until we get to that point, that's where the story ends with the reveal of Dr. Robotnik's return. But we've got a secondary story. Of course, uh, Ken Pender's Arma Winnie. We've got uh, another tale before the Great War. So, so Uncle Chuck, he strolls in seeing Tails, Amy, and Jeremiah talking about the book that they were reading. Chuck asks them, oh, how deep did you get into it? And Tails says they just read about how Emerson got shot by an overlander. And Chuck notes that, oh, well, you know, after that, uh, there was only the occasional skirmish and there never really was an outright war until a certain incident. After Nate was set up by Kodos and Nagus, Kodos tried to remove the last detail, by which I mean he tried to kill Nagus, but uh, his body was just a light illusion and talking over a nearby fire communication says, oh, Kodos, uh, you can enjoy the war. Have fun doing that. And uh, I'll be here in my zone of silence, biding my time. Not taking any chances, Kodos impounded all of Nagus's belongings. And then Tails stops Chuck saying, hey, wait, how do you know all of this? Not even, you know, the historians were able to get the whole story. To which Chuck says, oh, in my roboticized state, I was able to download information from across all of Robotnik's networks. Like, come on, I got you. I got you, Tails. So Chuck then recalls about... These two scouts, an Overlander and a Mobian, both of them not wanting to engage in conflict and arranged to tell the respective leaders that the lay of the land gave the enemy such an advantage, it would be pointless to go to war. But Mobian troops overheard this, captured both scouts, and took them to Kodos. Kodos deems the Mobian a traitor, snaps his neck as a punishment, and tells the troops to send the Overlander home in a body bag as a message to the Overlanders on how we Mobians deal with you savages. And after both sides got their messages, war was inevitable. Thus kicked off 
the Great War. And if you think things are bad right now, wait until Robotnik joins the side of the Mobians. And that, boys and girls, is the stinger for this issue. I, I did not realize it could get this more fucked up, but it just got this more fucked up. Yeah, like th this is getting real now. Like, you thought war ain't no fun game. Th this ain't Call of Duty, no sir. Th this is this is Sonic the Hedgehog. <laughs> it's it's just like the Sonic has seen war for the first time in his entire life panel, but like magnified by like 20,000 when, you know, Kodos just casually kills one of his people and then kills an overlander just because xd we're gonna start war my xd 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 Man. all right we've had our fun yeah we, we've had our fun we've, now we've got we've a... had our fun now we have to suffer now we have to suffer now it's time for the meat of this uh episode the the real meat and potatoes unfortunately we've got we've got a knuckles trilogy we come on round of applause we got a knuckles trilogy let's go I am I am going to warn the readers. Um this is like arguably Penders at his worst. And that's saying something. When when I say that th this particular set of comics has panels and scenes and lines of dialogue that are so bad, they've been eternally mocked by people in the Sonic community. When we get to 28 You'll know the issue we're going to be talking about because oh, yes. it's very famous for the horrendous art mm. and horrendous dialogue. Mm -hmm. It's bad. It's, it's, it's really bad. It is a treat. And that's why we are sending this episode off with these next three issues. So uh, are, are you ready, Aaron? Are you emotionally prepared for what we're about to say? No. Well, I'm too not. bad. Get prepared because we're I'm going right die. into <laughs> We're getting right into it. Knuckles number 26, Ken Penders, the writer. And the artist, Chris Allen. This is the same team for uh, the next three issues, for the record. Uh, titled, The First Date Trilogy. Now, uh, that's a name that should inspire confidence and bravado yes. in every yes. in the heart of everyone yes. who hears that as, I am clearly yes. inspired! Much so. Yes. Um, so, before we even start, if you're, if you're listening to this, and you are on your computer... I want you to look, to look at the art panels as we are talking because oh my god the the panels in this issue it's bad like words cannot describe like the story that's being told juxtaposed to the art that you're seeing it's just like it's it's literally a one two punch my my <laughs> let, let's not waste any time let's get right into it let's just get it so knuckles number 26 we open vector espio and mighty are in the diner having dinner, saying, oh man, you know, it's been so long since our boy Charmy had to leave and accept the Crown Prince title of his homeland. And they have a little bit of back and forth on whether or not Charmy should have stayed with them, should have renounced his heritage, Vector goes as far. Or not Vector, but that was said. Vector pushes back saying, hey, come on, he'd be insane to give up his title, giving up, quote, the status, the moolah, the best seat in the house, and the babes. And to which, the babes. To which Espio pushes back saying, hey man, all of that outweighs the responsibilities. Quote, and besides, he's engaged anyway. And the boys are in shock, throttling Espio, demanding he tell them everything. Espio just goes like, hey, whoa, 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 wait, stop, stop, listen. I just got a letter announcing Charmy's engagement to some girl named Saffron. I don't know anything, okay? Vector, in shock, is just saying, oh, man... <laughs> I think I'm gonna. I think I'm not. I think I'm gonna hurl, man. <laughs> Misogynist but, Vector returns once more. 
Mighty ribs him a little bit with Vector is like, hey man, you Vector pointed out that he didn't mean anything like marriage in the moment. And my man Vector looking like his soul got sucked out of his body. My man just lost one of the boys. Let's just pay, we should pay our respects here. Like F F to Char F to F to our boy Charmy for 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 being no longer one of the boys. Mm, sad. Big sad. Sag. Big Sag. Big Sag. <laughs> so uh we then cut to Julie Sue in her room, blasting a picture of Knuckles with her energy gun, saying, quote, run from me, will ya? That was what we covered on last thing. She's upset that her love interest uh, left to go talk with his dad, who he thought was dead for the past 10 years. <laughs> what is this art? What is up with her mouth? Why is it wet? Why is it wet? What is up with the eyes the face? The eyes are very anime-esque and not in a good way. Like, I described the art style of some of these issues before. Not on the podcast, so you're hearing this for the first time, listeners. This is American Sailor Moon. Yes, it is American Sailor Moon. And this, not in a good way. Not at all in a good way. Uh, meanwhile, uh, Knuckles wakes up to see Locke cooking him some breakfast. And, and Knuckles decides to ask, Hey, Dad, why do guys and girls get together? <laughs> <laughs> Ken Penders. Ken Penders unironically was like, yo, we're gonna. (laughs) My man was just like, yo, dad, I know I just met you. I know we've been like, this is like, this is the first time I've seen you in 10 years, but can you give me the bird and the bees talk? (laughs) Dad, I wanna fuck. Why do we wanna fuck? Oh my this God. is, this is, it uh, is, I'm going to play this straight for a second, okay? I can deal with inane lore dumps. I can deal with inane exposition. I can even deal with sappy, stupid romance in a Sonic comic. But this, this is where I draw the line. This is where <laughs> I say, no, <laughs> fuck you. You can make Jesus allegories. You can make as many fucking allegories to religion as you want. But this? Are you fucking kidding me? Dude, it's a comic about Knuckles the Echidna. Are you fucking kidding me? Why? Who asked for this? Who? Who? Who asked for this? Who? I'm sorry, I'm crying right now. I, I just... Oh my god. I, I can't, dude. I can't. And yes, I... uh... <laughs> and, uh, Locke, um... <clears throat> Locke, uh, gives a spit take to that question <laughs> as a natural response and just is like, hey, well, um, mm-hmm. uh, what would you like to know, my dear son? Knuckles asks, oh, you know... <laughs> Whenever I'm with Julie Sue, I get these weird feelings. Like, I'm happy, but I'm mad at the same time. And whenever Julie Sue gets mad, it's like she wants to be friendly instead. I don't... What's going on here? Why is she like this? And Log is just like, well, how different is it with any of your other friends? To which Knuckles says, well, you know, I get along with my boys. They're my boys. Vector's a pain, but, you know, it happens. It's fine. It's the boys. Other girls, Locke asks. To which Knuckles says, I don't even think about other girls. To which Locke says, well, looks like you've just been hit with the soul touch, son. Soul touch? What's that? Locke describes it as basically, we, echid- we echidnas, we are just, 
so fucking smart. Like, we are just so goddamn gigabrain. Nature Bro. just needed to evolve us so we were still capable of having romantic relationships. Bro, us echidnas are so advanced and so powerful that our cocks don't start thinking about wanting to fuck women until we hit our maturity. <laughs> We can't. We can't even get off to the normal stuff. All we do here, it's all science up here. E equals mc squared. That's how I get my rocks do you, off. Do you? Do you think? Do you think Locke is the predecessor of Ben Shapiro in this universe? Absolutely. Oh, he definitely is. Absolutely. Dude. Yeah, yeah, dude. He's like, he's like, women are temporary. Intellect is forever. True. <laughs> I can't even fucking say that with a straight face. Uh, okay, where were like, we? I'll keep going. Uh, so, Knuckles takes this as, like, oh, so, boys and girls are usually compatible, yeah? And Locke is like, well, I mean, yeah, that's how that works. To which Knuckles responds as, then why did you and mom get a divorce? <laughs> <laughs> that's the best burn in this entire comic, and it wasn't even meant to be a burn. I love it. I love it. Honestly, that, that it, 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 Knuckles hit him with the real shit right there. <laughs> Just got him right, got him right where it hurts. It's true. Locke is like, I, I don't know. I guess even faded relationships require a lot of work. Knuckles then says, like, I, well, yeah, you know, I, I get along great with the guys. I just have issues with Julie Sue. I wonder, maybe life would be easier if guys and girls just stuck to themselves. My, I, listen, we, we've gone through a lot just in this comic alone. We have Knuckles asking for the bird and the bees talk. Julie Sue being frustrated that, that her love interest walked away to talk with the father he never knew for over 10 years and now you're hitting me with this final combo of knuckles the echidna questioning his sexuality in an official sonic the hedgehog comic what the fuck happened and in the, my life and what am best. i doing here and how did and you what <laughs> what the fuck the... happened what where did my life take me this why am i here right now what the fuck <laughs> happened and the best part is Locke's response which is Probably, but eventually they would want something more. So not only is Locke homophobic, Locke is openly denying Knuckles' questioning of his sexuality. Yeah, and the scene even ends with, like, they have, like, a little bit more of, like, a back and forth, but then, like, Locke is just, like, he just brings his son and is like, come on, son, before we continue this conversation further, let's work out your feelings for Julie Sue. Literally just shoving it under the rug. Do you want to know something? Hmm? Ken Penders has, in the span of four pages, covered several social and political issues with the grace of an elephant attempting to fly. <laughs> and and it's just, it is like, it is, it is unfathomable to me how this comic got to the state it got. We just went from the Sonic stuff, which was fine, and then we get thrust into this shit. What? Why? How and when did this all get conceived? What happened? That's what I'm asking here. Like, what happened? How did we get to this point? How did I get to this point? Why am I here? Why am I reading this? What happened? I just... I can't, man. I I don't think I can. <laughs> oh my god. Wait. Wait. Hmm? Wait. Oh, you no. have, to, you oh, have no. to see this. No, oh, no, 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 no. <laughs> I'm scared. Look at the echidna. God. Look at those eyes. No, oh, no, make it stop. I don't he, want to see that. Get he, it away. Get it away. He, Disgusting. You know, you know that Ken Penders fucking made sure 
that those eyes were directly on screen. And that was somebody's furry sexual awakening. This comic indirectly bred an entire generation of furries. Uh, I just... All right, I we got that out of our systems. It's good. We're, we're good. We had we had our we got it got it out. We got it out. We're done here. We're done. It's not over. It's never over. So after all that, meanwhile, uh, the boys are at the marketplace. Espio saying to Vector, "Oh man, you know, if you're such hot shit, bro, you can land a date with the first woman you ask out." And he takes the challenge and asks some random woman who's just like, hey, 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 babe, uh, you want to have a Saturday looking for you? To which she says, I'm studying to become a missionary. In which Vector says, okay, so does next weekend work for you? Grace. Grace and charm. 100%. You love it. Then Julie Sue, feeling cramped up, goes out on the town and just glares into a boutique, noticing a little glitzy hat. To which the owner sees her outside and just push her in, saying, hey, come here, try it on. You're clear. You like it. You like it. And she says that she feels like a little ridiculous wearing it. But the owner is like, nah, nah, it gives you a little sense of style. You look good. You look good. To which the guy working there says, uh, hey, if you got nothing better to do, why don't you join me for lunch? And uh, I... <sighs> meanwhile, <laughs> unless you got a thought, Aaron. I, I mean, the only thing I have to say is... Other echidna attempts to seduce Julie Sue. Very weird champ. Very weird champ. Yeah, very, I'm feeling I'm champ. feeling weird champ right now. So Yeah, this this entire comic is just making me feel mega weird champ, dude. Archimedes phases into existence as Knuckles' table, him still thinking about Julie Sue, to which Archimedes asked him about the conversation that he and his dad had, with Knuckles saying, like, it, it wasn't pleasant. And Archimedes says, Hey look, man, life has consequences. Be prepared for anything. As Archimedes warps Knuckles with him, Locke walks in, wondering where Knuckles went. Scene change. Our man Vector striking out cold. And he's at a bar as a waitress comes out and, uh, smittens Vector, let's say. Meanwhile, Julie Sue is having lunch with the guy from the store, Raynor is his name, and asks her, do you have anyone special in your life? To which she says, I wish I knew. As Archimedes and Knuckles pop right in the middle of that restaurant that's where that story ends dude i just want to point out that like what is with knuckles's face here i want you to look at his face with me real quick and really like tell me it's like an ape face <laughs> it's a face when you make when you go monkey mode <laughs> yeah it's a, you know i mean i think it uh I think it, like, it describes his feelings accurately. He doesn't know what the fuck is going on. Why am I here right now? Archimedes, what have you fucking done? I think it's a good face. It, it describes his emotion. It's silly. It is funny, though. It is a funny thing to look at. That's the end of the story, but not the end of the comic. We got a story B. I think this is the first story B for the Knuckles comics so far. And, of course, written by Ken Penders, but this art is done by Manny Galan this time. And it's focusing on Mighty. He gets a visitor at his home who gives him a trinket that, uh, brings back memories. The visitor then asks him to recover something else, needing his muscle, and as an incentive, shows him a collar, to which he reacts strongly to. Saying the collar belongs to his friend, Ray the Flying Squirrel, asks how they got it, to which they say, Hey, listen, I'll tell you if you're in. I have no choice, Mighty says. Correct answer, saying the visitor, Revealing herself as Nick the Weasel, Nack's sister and fellow bounty hunter. Nick is, this literally just looks like, uh, Nack. Just, it, I, I think they're twins. They have to be twins. So, something that I actually kind of like about this, and this is something that was done way, like, ages before Mania. 
I don't know how much Penders knew about the um, Sega Sonic the Hedgehog arcade game. Uh, I mean, if he knows anything, it's just like preliminary stuff that like he got from Sega. Just like, yeah, this is the gist. Which I think is really cool that they've basically integrated Ray and Mighty as friends, as like close friends, you know? Because the two are often paired together because of their you know, connection of being lost characters, mm. right? So I think that's really interesting that they were just kind of like, oh, okay, well, we're gonna, we're gonna have this story about Mighty trying to find Rey, who is, at this point in the canon, lost, mm. right? Rey's only appearances were in the comics. And at this point, he had never been featured in America, I'm sure, right? Probably. And that's what makes him interesting. As Nick is taking Mighty to the destination, he recalls how he met Ray. They are both captured by Robotnik, said that despite Ray showing some fear, he was still considerate for others. And then that's where they met Sonic, who let himself get captured to get behind enemy lines. He jumped from the craft into Robotropolis, leaving everyone behind. And after getting down from the ship, Mighty and Nick began to wander in the woods, to which Mighty finds a certain someone from his past, a name that will be familiar, listeners. Fiona Fox. That's where that story ends. That's where this comic ends. So, recap me. Fiona, does she... She made an appearance earlier in the comic, right? Yes and no. There was a robot duplicate that Robotnik made of her image that was in the comic. But same name, same mostly everything. But this time we're seeing the actual Mobian, Fiona Fox. Fiona Fox. And Fiona Fox is... A very important character um, later on in the story. Very important. Oh my god. Oh my yeah, there's god. some shit that uh, that happens in regards to that that makes me uh, cringe. Beyond cringe, mm-hmm. my dude. Beyond cringe. Beyond. So on that note, Knuckles number twenty-seven. Of course, Ken Penders, Alan. You know what this. You know what's up. You know what's up. So we open from the last scene of the Knuckles story. They warp in. Knuckles is flustered, being in this semi-fancy dining place with Archimedes, saying, "Hey, listen, Julie Sue's right there, man. Just go talk to her. This is a good place. Do it. Just do it. Just do it. Just do it." Knuckles is hiding behind a fern near the kitchen panicking because he thinks julie sue almost saw them tries to get away but bumps into a waiter coming out of the kitchen and drops the dishes the manager comes in chastising knuckles for this thinking he's just some idiot but then changed his tone realizing that oh it was the guardian this makes knuckles panic even further as julie sue is walking to turn the corner begs archimedes to warp him away does so leaving julie sue to wonder what exactly she heard i i just want to point out so remember how, like, the art last time was really bad? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's even worse, this issue, somehow. Knuckles' proportions are just all over the place. He doesn't even look like a Sonic character now. He looks like a human wearing an echidna suit. It's so bad. The muscle definitions are just, like, very close to Uncanny Valley, if not Uncanny Valley already. It's just like, yes, you're right. This It, it looks like a human person inside a Knuckles suit that fits a little too well. It's... It's horrendous. Mm. The Everything about it is vomit-inducing. The two were warped to a high-rise. Knuckles and Archimedes having a little heart-to-heart saying, you know, I'm ready to fight on a moment's notice. But when it comes to Julie Sue, I, I turn to Jello. And Archimedes says, hey, listen, don't worry about it. That's the soul touch for you. It was probably as bad as for your dad, brother. Don't Don't be too worried about it. Knuckles wonders if he would be this distraught if he found out one of the boys was dating someone... To which, speaking of which, Knuckles sees them walking into the arcade. Meanwhile, 
Locke is looking for Knuckles and Haven, coming across Saber and the Fire Ants Deo and Simper Fidelis, to which Dio thinks Archimedes stuck his nose in a place where it doesn't belong. And uh, is playing matchmaker, Locke says, to which Deo says, hey, if Archimedes felt the need to do so to Knuckles, maybe he wouldn't end up a swinging single like you, Locke. <laughs> Uh, uh, fuck it. it. Locke is, is 0 for 2 on this. My man's t- taking some yeah, L's right he's now. Taken, he's taking the heat, bro. He's he's taking those L's and he's got nothing to call for it. He he just doesn't even respond, and that's the fucking best part. <laughs> it really is. It's it's really funny. It's not supposed to be, but it's really funny. Saber says he worries about the company Knuckles keeps and is about to spy in on him. To which Locke stops and saying, "Listen, I want Knuckles to have some privacy, and if he really has a problem." I hope that he'd be willing to come to me, his father, about it. So then, the boys are in the arcane. Vector playing some asteroids. They're talking shit. Vector's ribbing, or yeah, Vector's being ribbed by Espio about not having a date yet. To which Espio says, "Well, hey, look at Knuckles." And Vector says, "What about him? He treats Julie Sue no different than any treats us, and that's not right. His man, the man's got his wires crossed." As Knuckles walks in, walking toward them. Espio sees him walking in and is like, Hey, 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 what do you mean? Dude? Knuckles not a fool. I don't know what you mean, man. And Vector's like, Oh, well, if Julie Sue had Knuckles wrapped around her any tighter, he'd snap. And then uh, that's where he sees Knuckles. And nonchalantly goes, Oh, hey, Knuckles. Hey, man, how's it going, buddy? To which Knuckles says, Oh, I'll, I'll tell you what's going on, buddy. Gets in Vector's face, screaming, hands around his throat. He's throttling him back and forth, saying, There is a girl I might be in love with, and I have to sit here and listen to your trash. Get off my fucking case. Bro, bro, that's me. That's me to Ken Penders. I'm Nux. Vector is Ken Penders. In Minecraft, right? In Minecraft, yes. <laughs> yeah, it's informative murder porn, by the way. <laughs> in Minecraft, in Minecraft. In, in Minecraft. How do you tame a horse in Minecraft speed? You uh, have to tell me. I can't I can't break this parental lock. <laughs> listen, I just... I mean, listen, this panel just speaks for itself. It really does. Knuckles, Knuckles has the motherfucking existential crisis of a goddamn century. And it just continues as we keep going. Espio and Mighty are trying to get Knuckles off Vector saying, with Espio saying, Dude, Vector, you gotta apologize if you want to stay alive right now. And Knuckles just like backs off. Vector was trying to apologize, saying that he didn't check himself. Knuckles says, shove it. And walks away pissed. And Archimedes pops into Espio's hand saying, Oh, boys, what you just witnessed is a prime case of Echidnophilus and Raptoritus. In other words, dude's lovesick. They really have a scientific term for this, huh? Well, I should be, shouldn't be surprised. That's on me, I guess. Meanwhile, Julie Sue ended up spending the whole day with Raynor. He leaves her, kiss on the cheek at her apartment, with her feeling complicated. Quote, the one who wants me isn't the one I want. Sad. Big sad. Big sad. She's, uh, she's trying to figure it out, but uh, she's really struggling. Yeah, I'm struggling too. Shit. At the same time, Knuckles is walking around upset of how he acted, saying that, man, if this was anyone else, I'd feel the need to apologize, but it was Vector, so he had it coming. (laughs) He passes his mom's apartment building, thinking to ask her advice, but realizing he's just delaying, delaying the inevitable, musters up some Dutch courage, and goes to Julie Sue's apartment, and over the intercom, just asks her out on Friday night, and she says yes, excitedly, and Knuckles walks away, chest puffed with the confidence of a thousand men. (laughs) 
Also, the art is really fucking bad here. You know how I said about how... You know how he talked about how Knuckles looks like a human in a suit that looks way too well? Yeah, that's exactly what this looks like right now. It's disgusting. It is some of the worst comic book... Oh, okay. You think this is bad? Next issue is the equivalent of, of like, eye-melting garbage. It's so bad. Oh... And before we get into that, of course, we've got Story B. We're continuing on from the last point. So Mighty encounters Fiona Fox. He, he was kind of surprised to see her. She thought He thought she was dead. And as the three of them walk into the encampment, Mighty recalls how he and Ray were taken in the past. They were about to be roboticized. One Robian was about to attack Fiona, and he fights his way to protect her. But they're taking down, basically risking death. They threw him into solitary after that. And as Nick takes them into the camp... They see the automations of the Freedom Fighters, wondering what's going on. That's where Mighty recalls about how he met Sonic, who rescued him from his shackles and joined him looking for Ray. Nick takes them into a vault, and that's where that story ends. Mighty's about to turn the vault wheels. Hard stop. And that's the end of Knuckles number 27. <sighs> Knuckles 28 is one of the most infamous issues of this entire comic. And you're going to see why. And and I'm going to be completely honest, it might be one of the worst things I have ever read. It's that bad. Much like Knuckles, we must muster some Dutch courage to read this issue, so let's just get into it. Knuckles number 28, Ken Penders, uh, Alan, Art, you know the drill. So, the next day, Knuckles goes to his mom's apartment and asks him, hey, uh, what did you and dad do on your first date? Since he just asked out Julie Sue, I have no idea what to do for it. Uh, help. To which uh, Laura Lee says, oh, that was a lifetime ago. But, you know, he just made a picnic for me. He even read me some of his poetry. It was actually really nice. The point of a date, she says, just get to know each other. It doesn't really matter what you do. Knuckles mentions then the date's on Friday, which stops Laura Lee in her tracks saying, oh, if he goes out that night, it would ruin the surprise but would also make for a good distraction, to which then she decides to go to Julie Sue for a suggestion. At Julie Sue's apartment, she uh, recalls the talk that she and Laura Lee had previously, basically saying that, like, I know you don't approve of me dating your son. <laughs> and Laura Lee... I'm sorry, that, just point that out there. Laura Lee says, look, listen, I don't disapprove of you as a person, I don't even disapprove of you being in a relationship. I just want to see right here if you made any specific plans. Julie Sue says, no, we didn't. Laura Lee then says, all right, hear me out. I want this to be a date Knuckles will never forget. Then we move to the boys. They're at the diner talking about how Knuckles almost killed Vector. But you kind of deserved it, Espio says. I mean, all I'm going to say is, and I meant to bring this up. Ladies and gentlemen, Knuckles Pog. Knuckles Pog. Espio then asks, hey, dude, what's your deal with Julie Sue anyway? It doesn't take much for you to get annoyed by her. Fetcher says, listen, she just rubs me the wrong way. I, I just don't get along with her, okay? We're like oil and water. Direct quote. Oh, I know, which is like a weird, like, why would you use that analogy? Oil and water? I mean, it makes sense, but like, Mobians, I, I mean, I guess they would know about oil, but like, I, it's weird. Forget it. Who cares? <laughs> Moving on. Yeah. Yeah, SPO says, it's not like you're the most pleasant guy to be around. Even my friends ask why I hang out with you. In Mighty's case, he just wants to get along with everybody, including Julie Sue. Vector does agree with this, 
He says he doesn't want to break up the group because of a bad vibe, to which Knuckles walks in behind Vector and agrees in this. Vector freaked the fuck out, says, oh, shit, uh, listen, Knuckles, like, I'm sorry, I acted out of line back there, like, I, I shouldn't have said what I said, I'm sorry, man. And Knuckles is like, yeah, you're right, I, I, I acted out too, I jumped the gun, we cool, Vector, we boys still? Yeah, we cool. And they come in, bro handshake, Mighty picks them both to celebrate, the boys are back in town. I don't know how to, like, describe this, but, like, if there was one thing I really had hoped from these comics, it would be that the Chaotix would be featured a lot more prominently in, like, a non-bullshit character role. Because I feel like throughout this entire comic, they've just been sidelined and fucked over, you know? Yeah, yeah. And it's a shame, too, because the Chaotix were always really cool, and they just do anything with them, and it's like, okay... I don't know. Anyways, continue. So at this scene, Locke is staring into the monitors, seeing Knuckles reconcile with the Chaotix, smiling and nodding approvingly. To which he gets a call from Laura Lee asking like, oh, great, what did I do fucking wrong this time? And she says, listen, I didn't call to argue. I need your help with something. You got plans on Friday? And he says, yeah, I had something. I had a reminder set for Friday. I don't remember for what, though. Laura Lee snaps at him, saying, Ah, oh, I should have expected this. This Friday is Knuckles' 16th birthday. Idiot. I wanted to invite him to an apartment for a surprise party, and I wanted you to come along, be one big happy family. Let's be civil about this, Laura Lee says. Let's just do something nice for Knuckles, okay? Locke says, right. I'm sorry for being snippy. Uh, what can I do to help? After a nice pep talk from Archimedes, Knuckles goes to pick up Julie Sue. She suggests a venue. They go to the common hall, friend of hers is giving a poetry reading, Knuckles isn't super down for it, but he'll, he'll play along. They walk into the hall, people are screaming, yo, surprise, happy birthday, Knuckles. He's caught off guard, but he welcomes it. Locke then pulls Knuckles aside as the party gets started with, Laura Lee saying, look, your mom and I decided to put our side of differences, we're a family, we gotta support you, as such. And Knuckles is thankful for this. He walks away back to Julius Sue, thanking her for the surprise, and says, well, Eh, so much for the one-on-one -on -one, uh, date, huh? Julie says, yeah, well, you know, there's always next week. To which Knuckles swoops her down, smooch on the lips, it's a date. And again, we have to point this out. The art is, this is the most it's, special it's, art I've ever seen in my life. Mighty's just in the back. My man's on that, the, on that like, lemon sundrop dandelion right now. That man is gone. He's gone. It's... I, I mean, this panel in particular is just some of the absolute worst the art gets. I mean, if... Okay. You know what, Speed? I'm going to need you to do me a really, really, really special favor for this for this specific panel. Mm -hmm. Put it up on screen right now. All right. So, so, let's, so let's talk first about Knuckles, right? Why does Knuckles look like he's like from like a porno? With his proportions, right? Yeah, his muscles are like... His head... It, the head is like too small for the body, even though that like... I guess it is anatomically correct, technically, but it's like too correct, you know? Julie Sue also has prominent ass cheeks and breasts, and it's the weirdest... I'm gonna vomit. I don't... I can't... I can't look at that anymore. Mighty looks like he's fucking dropping LSD, like you mentioned. Like I said, S Lemon <laughs> Sun Drop Dandelion. He's gone. He is he's gone. He's gone, bro. SVO looks like he's, like, 
He's got like, he looks like he's half gone. Look at that fucking mouth, dude. Look at that mouth. Look at that mouth. What's going on here? What okay, the hell okay. is going on? Why the fuck does Vector look so off in this photo? <laughs> why does he look like he, why does he look like, oh, like, why does he look 20 times more man than crocodile? And, <laughs> it's the muscles. It's the muscle definition. It looks too uncanny valley that's it okay and then like the crown centerpiece is Locke, just in the back just like bruh he's just bruh. like bruh bruh <laughs> bruh oh my fucking god what this, happened what happened here this this panel is is infamous for how bad it is mm. and like if you wanted to understand ken penders in a single picture this is the one this is it this is it this is it. It's entirely him in this one page. I don't have anything else to say about this comic. It's fucking, it's actually horrendous. It is so bad. It, this is, this is, this is special. All right. This is, this is a great thing. I decided to spend my mind doing I, I'm glad. I hope you guys enjoying this. Thanks you're, you're for, thank it. you for uh, <laughs> watching the Archie Science Digest, but we're not done yet because we have a story B to cover for Knuckles number 28. Real quick, and it actually is a little has a good ending, a heartwarming ending. So we don't yes. have to end on this monstrosity you're looking at right now. Mighty opens the vault, only to find Ray in a space limbo, clinging onto a gem shard that both Nick and Fiona are claiming. Ray says it only feels like a few hours since he last saw Mighty, as he last remembers Sonic and Mighty drawing Robotnik's fire. He and Fiona both tried to grab the gemstone from behind him. As Ray grabbed the power stone, he got shot in the back, the energy of which caused him to warp away. Sonic tried to catch him before he did, but it was too late. Mighty, realizing what happened, goes full fucking berserk. He's roided up and goes full force on Robotnik, using another SWAT bot as a shield as he and Sonic escape. I have to say this right now. I'm sorry. Mighty's no is incriminally fucking reminiscent of Vader's no at the end of episode three. Again, Ken Penders is inspired. Even though this came out before episode three. So then, so, so then George Lucas was inspired by Ken Penders. Yes, it's ooh, true. Oh man, Ken Penders should sue. Anyway. Oh, he's gonna sue. He's gonna sue. <laughs> after recalling what happened afterward, Fiona mentions that while she was imprisoned, she was shown the automation that Robotnik made of her and effectively was just left to rot. She spent two years digging a tunnel in her cell to escape, and when she did... That's where she met Nick, and they both lived in the fringes ever since. And Nick, seeing as Ray can't let go of the gemstone, does something risky. She blasts the gemstone, freeing Ray from his interdimensional prison, but the gem disintegrates, and holds it over Mighty's head, but he says, hey, it's worth it, I got my friend back. That's the end to Knuckles number 28. That's the last comic we've got to you guys. Thank God I have something more palatable to end on. And with Ray being returned to Mighty, the boys are back together at last. Thank God I have something palatable to end this story on because, oh my God, these last Knuckles comics were a train wreck. I mean, I know we didn't do that much commenting on it. Th this is one of the things about talking about these Knuckles comics. You can only talk about so much before the same problems just keep showing up over and over and, and over, over again. again. Yes, because the problem is no one ever tells Ken Penders no. 
Right. And this is going to be something that we're going to be talking a lot more about when we come into the Sonic comics later on, when Ken Penders, um, when the Knuckles comics ends, and then everything from those comics gets fucking shoved into the Sonic comics. And now we have to deal with them. And that's the problem. The stories are not succinct. They are never succinct. They never feel like they line up. They never feel like they connect. And that's the problem. Mm -hmm. It's just these comics reach a point where you can only say so much about them before you're just repeating yourself yeah because like okay we like the message received like we get it ken pender's bad like i get it ken pender's bad he doesn't know what he's doing blah blah blah. like like we can talk as much as possible about some of the the decision making and the writing and like the, the the fundamental narrative structure and the process that he goes through but like there's a point where it's just too much and we are just like yeah i mean it's just it's just ken penders and how he operates because we had a whole discussion on that right Mm. and it's like you can only talk about so much within that narrative confine and there's it's it's just it's a really frustrating situation i know that sometimes it feels like maybe me and speed are repeating ourselves when we talk about these things and it's just like why the fuck is ken penders like this but the deeper we go the deeper we get it becomes even more of like, holy shit, how did we get here? Yeah, I mean, that's that's the problem with like these discs. That's the problem with such a narrative structure of like, we really are just repeating the same problems and all we can really do is just look at it mouth agape and just wonder, oh man, Ken Penders, man, what did he do this? Oh, no, 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 no. But then it's just like, well... The editors never stopped him. Sega never stopped him. Who's to blame here? At this point, like, we're just, this is our own fault. We should be expecting this. Exactly. It is something that is going to become very apparent um, later on in the comic, like I've said a couple times now. It's something that we are going to have to uh, have to handle um, when the time comes. And believe me, we are going to have to handle it when the time mm-hmm. comes. Because if you guys think this shit is bad... Dude, you, you ain't seen nothing yet. You oh ain't my seen God. nothing yet. <laughs> yes. You think that the Knuckles? You think the Knuckles comics are confusing right now? Wait till we get to the later Sonic comics. Mm-hmm. Yeah, <sighs> it's just gonna. Oh my God, dude. I have a headache just thinking about it. Man. Oh, dude, no, I know. Uh, I know. Don't well, worry. Don't worry about that. That's gonna be a problem for future us as we carry on to the next episode of the Archie Sonic Digest. Uh. Looks like next is another super special. Uh, eh, we'll see. It looks like next episode we're going to have more Sonic than Knuckles. Thank fucking God. Thank God. So, yeah, I think we'll. that's going to be our end off to this episode of the Archie Sonic Digest. Thank you so much for tuning in and listening in because, oh my God, if I was just doing this of my own free will and volition and I wasn't making content out of reading the Sonic comics, no joke, I would have dropped it by this point because this is too much of a headache. At least when I'm doing this right here, right now, producing a podcast because of it, at least I can make content out of it and at least other people can laugh at my suffering. Yeah, I mean, it's part of the um, part of the cycle of YouTube. Uh, content is... Uh the the big bucks is and you know i mean all i'll say is that i'm really happy to be on here man and um as a side note uh i'm gonna be trying to make more often appearances uh as we go deeper and deeper uh speed and i talked and uh i think the two of us are ready to uh to when when the shit really starts hitting the fan with penders 
Mm-hmm. We're gonna we're gonna dive into the rabbit hole oh. together. Oh, and man, so are oh, you, man. dear viewer, and so are you. Mm-hmm. You're you're in it for the long haul now. If you're with this is the thirteenth episode, technically the fourteenth, counting the pilot. If you're in this deep already, ooh, you're you're stuck. You're stuck with us now. How is the story gonna end? You're gonna have to wait and find out with us. Or you just read all of them, but I I do not recommend that. Just no, just don't. wait for us. Just, just 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 wait just wait just wait for it's, us. Okay, it's for the good of your own mental health. We're carrying the burden here for you. We're carrying the burden <laughs> for you. And on that note, uh, I believe that'll send it off. Aaron, would you like to uh do a little shilling before we head home? Yeah. Uh, follow me on Twitter. Uh, Twitter.com/slash/TrueBlueA101. Uh. Good shit posts, good memes, wholesome content occasionally, uh, light political content occasionally, but it's all fun on my Twitter. Go follow me there. Go follow me on Twitch, twitch.tv slash amatrossi98. Um, potentially follow me on YouTube. I may actually be starting to produce content for YouTube just as a side thing, nothing major, maybe some video essays. Uh, tw- YouTube.com slash amatrossi98. That's all I got. Thank you again, Speed. I That's- love you lots, man. That's all we got, and we'll see you next time for another episode of the Archie Sonic Digest. Uh, Goodbye, folks. Uh, Take care.